On this edition of the Iowa Business Report. I think it's more of a rural-urban split, although I think there are some rural areas that have some pretty good economic development, some pretty good growth. In order to build up Iowa's workforce, we'll need to build more housing. The future state of soy is the subject of a new multi-state study. And in our business profile, we'll revisit a business near Ames that grew a lot, literally, in its first year. This is the Iowa Business Report for the third weekend of April 2022. The Iowa Business Report is a copyrighted production of Totally Iowa Media, which is solely responsible for its content. For more, click on the radio programs button at totallyiowa.com. Here is Jeff Stein. There is little dispute that Iowa's businesses would expand if only there were workers. We've previously discussed the many reasons for the workforce shortage, including proper training and affordable childcare. This week, we discuss the need for appropriate housing with Bob Hartwig, legal counsel for the Iowa Bankers Association. Jeff, I don't know if this is a brand new problem, but we've had some housing issues for some time in Iowa, particularly in our rural areas. There's just not enough of it. We have opportunities, economic development opportunities in our small communities to expand jobs, a lot of times they're constrained by the amount of available housing stock. So you've got a lot of smaller communities that are having to draw workers in from, you know, 30, 40, 50, sometimes 60 miles away. It makes it harder for growth. There are probably a lot of reasons for that. I was talking to a uh, residential developer a year ago He was telling me, and this was kind of during the depths of COVID, but nevertheless, he said uh, even before COVID started, it's just difficult. One of the impediments that they have on expanding affordable rural housing is getting the subs out to the rural areas. They can't get them to come out because they have enough work in the urban areas where a lot of people are moving to, and it's just hard to do. There are probably some programs out there that from a policy standpoint, I think, to enhance rural growth. You know, workforce development has some housing tax credit programs. They have some money set aside in those tax credit allocations for rural development. We can use that, those allocations to stimulate more enhancement to those subcontractors and contractors to do things in rural Iowa. I think it would probably be a little bit better. Now, we're talking about a rural versus urban situation. Is there a situation where we have too few houses at a certain price level, maybe a glut at another price level. Is that another component of this, or is it inappropriate to generalize? There are still supply chain issues going on in housing. You know, I've talked to developers and saying, you know, even even without a lot, if the community donated the lots, it still costs X or, you know, it's hard to build a single family home for under 250 or 275 or pick your number. I think that number keeps growing a little bit as supplies and things get a little tighter and more expensive. We do see more housing probably on the higher end than we used to from a combination of just, it just costs that much to build entry-level housing and just the demand is there, particularly in the urban areas for the larger and more expensive homes. But unfortunately, um, building affordable housing also is, you know, it has to pencil out for the contractors and a lot of times they need those tax credits to make it work. Are there areas of the state 
where the issue of housing is more pronounced than others? For example, is it more of a crisis in this area of the state as opposed to another, or is it more of a rural-urban split? I think it's more of an rural-urban split, although I think there are some rural areas that have some pretty good economic development, some pretty good growth. My wife, for example, is from Sioux County, Iowa, up in Northwest Iowa, and they have some very aggressive economic development programs and TIF programs in their communities that they have attracted enough workers to develop some new housing. So there are some rural areas that are growing more than others. There are parts of the state that are struggling with growth where it's it's probably a little bit more difficult. Probably some of the communities across southern Iowa, it's more of a challenge, probably because of the job opportunities there are a little bit more constrained than some other parts. But I think mainly it's rural versus urban. If you come to Des Moines and you drive from Grimes across the north end of town all the way to Bondurant, you can see where everybody's moving. The builders are developing tracks at 250 units at a time. It's pretty crazy. I told my son he bought a home in December, as a starter home in Cedar Falls, his first house. And he locked in at, I think, two and seven eighths. And the rates today are pretty close to five. And, you know, on his little loan, that'd be $250 more a month. And for a young kid starting out, that's real money. We got used to these low rates for a few years. And mm-hmm. now... For a variety of reasons, some of it global, some of it inflation here at home, et cetera, some of it the Fed, obviously. Now these rates are at 5% with no real end in sight in terms of where it's going to top off at. That can't help this situation, can it? Well, and traditionally when rates go up, Jeff, in housing, it does put more downward pressure on housing prices and housing values when rates go up because there's usually a balance. We aren't seeing that quite yet, and the the main reason is because there's just such a small inventory out there of available homes for sale, not just new homes, but even existing homes. There's just not a lot out there yet, but eventually that will change, and if rates do keep going up, I hope they don't, but if they do keep going up, it will put downward pressure on the values of homes, so there's that balance that homeowners have, and one of the reasons for the run-up in home values that we've seen over the last two to three years is because interest rates got so low and that does put inflationary value on home values. What's the way out of this? What can various industries, whether it's banking, whether it is business groups, whether it's government, what sort of things might be a good, I don't want to say solution, but might help alleviate this situation for everyone's benefit? Well, I think it's going to take a partnership between private sector and public sector. It's going to take a lot of people working together to keep workforce housing affordable. On the public sector side, I I think we will continue for the bad or for good. Not everybody thinks it's the right thing to do, but it is what it is as far as having tax credits to help development. On the private sector side, we've seen a lot of use of you know low down payment and a lot of loan programs that can help younger people get into homes for less money down. We, we have a mortgage company at the IBA that is a subsidiary called Iowa Bankers Mortgage Corporation, and, and we service about 64,000 loans in 10 states, mainly in Iowa, but we buy those loans on a wholesale basis through our community banks. And we have a lot of good low down payment programs that work pretty well. But I just think it's going to take a lot of people working together to keep working. It's not an easy problem to solve. Bob Hartwig, legal counsel for the Iowa Bankers Association. We connected via Zoom on Friday, April 8. 
You can reach him at the group's website, iowabankers.com. Still to come, expanding and diversifying a major Iowa commodity. And in our business profile, a product that will soothe the soul. You're listening to the Iowa Business Report. Are you experiencing farm FOMO? It's the fear of missing out on opportunities to make every soybean acre you farm more profitable. Luckily, FOMO is easy to overcome. Just tap into your Iowa Soybean Association benefits courtesy of the Soybean Checkoff. Be among the first to receive agronomic research results, timely soy news, producer education invites, and so much more. Connect today at IASoybeans.com. The Iowa Business Report is presented by Advance Iowa, leading successful business, innovation, growth, and transitions. Search for Advance Iowa on LinkedIn and Facebook and get more at AdvanceIowa.com. The Iowa Soybean Association, along with similar groups in Missouri, Illinois, Indiana, and Ohio, partnered to produce research to help determine what they call the future state of soy. Kirk Leeds is CEO of the Iowa Soybean Association. He outlined for me some of the key points from the new report. A lot of the results and the outcomes and really the suggestions in the study were not uh, really that surprising. The speed of that change, um, you know, maybe the intensity of that change is probably the takeaways. But you know, not surprisingly, one of the key takeaways from the study was this focus on the expansion of the quality of both soybean oil and meal. And with the explosion and the demand for biofuels, particularly in our case with renewable diesel and the impact that's going to have on demand for oil versus meal, uh, we're going to see the market continue to be more dependent on the value of the oil and less dependent on the value of the meal, which means that we're going to be able to probably see a reduction in the price that our customers pay for meal because there'll be abundance of supply, uh, which isn't all bad. I mean, it's a, for the livestock customers, uh, this is probably good news. In the age of inflation, we're going to see less dependence on the meal. So we're going to see more supply, lower cost of meal. So that's certainly one of the, pro, uh, the takeaways. The other thing in summary I would say is it was a reminder to us that the world is still hungry. And even though we're going to see more oil demand domestically and perhaps globally, at the end of the day, the world is still hungry for protein, whether that pro protein comes from plant protein directly from soy, or more likely it's come through being fed to livestock and, and fish. Uh, the world needs more protein. And so, as you said, it's both a domestic and an international market. And we and again, we're reminded of that, that there's demand domestic and there's demand globally. And all of that has to come together in a marketplace that kind of equally shares the value of meal versus oil. And that's one of the good things, because if there's a lull in the international market, often the domestic market picks it up. Or as you've noted here, if there's a greater demand for oil, well, then that changes uh, the equation for meal. So in one respect, that, that can be very helpful. It also shows just how diversified this product is in terms of the expansion of new uses. Yeah, exactly right. You know, Jeff, I've been doing this for a few years and, and three decades of my, my work for farmers. I can remember that we started working on biodiesel back in the early 90s because we were really concerned about the oversupply of vegetable oil. Uh, soybean oil in those days was less than 10 cents a pound. 
uh, and we were worried about with the demand for protein, uh, we were going to have to get rid of the oil. Well, today, 30 years later, because of the work that was done to find new uses for oil, you know, the, the good side of this is that we now have oil that is at record highs in value. Uh, we have a reverse problem now. We have a meal problem. So the good news is we've increased demand for oil. The ongoing opportunity, and that's why I'm still employed, is now we got to figure out what to do with the meal. So you're right. It's that balance of adding value. Biodiesel uh, originally now is going to be renewable diesel as well. Those have changed the marketplace. And, you know, the advantage of the soybean checkoff program is it's given the farmers the resources necessary to make those shifts and, and less now focus on oil. And now we're worried about availability of oil. And, and more about what do we do with the meal. So it's just the reality of what happens. New uses, you mentioned new uses. You know, the, the, the challenge of new uses, and I just wrote a column about this in our magazine, the, the new uses is a journey. And there's, there's missteps along the way. Most of the investments in new uses won't pan out. Um, they will find, will find that they want either technically it doesn't work or more likely that the market's not willing to pay the price necessary. And so you have to continually explore new uses and it, it takes a long time. And uh, at the end of the day though, soybeans are still valuable for animal feed and still valuable as a vegetable oil. Full details on the report can be found at futurestateofsoy.org. Coming up, how to build a family farm business with a unique commodity. You're listening to the Iowa Business Report. Where can you find eight different museums and art galleries within one walkable square mile? Why, in Waterloo, of course. Waterloo, Iowa is home to the Sullivan Brothers Veterans Museum, the Dan Gable National Wrestling Museum, the John Deere Tractor and Engine Museum, the Waterloo Center for the Arts, and more. Which begs the question, why not Waterloo? I'm Mayor Quentin Hart, inviting you to Waterloo. Come for a visit, stay for the great quality of life. Look us up at cityofwaterlooiowa.com. Support for the Iowa Business Report comes from the Iowa Business Council, a nonpartisan, nonprofit organization working to elevate Iowa's economy through leadership, research, and advocacy. Learn more and read their latest quarterly member survey by going to iowabusinesscouncil.org. The concept of starting a small business in addition to your full-time job is not unique, especially when Iowa farm ground is concerned, and having family of all ages be involved in a small business is also typical. Put those concepts together, and you have Iowa Lavender, a company that we first profiled last summer that has quickly kept its founding family busy. Jessica and Jason Mortweed are the owners of Iowa Lavender. We started Iowa Lavender in 2020, a year where we all needed a little bit of relaxation. We planted about 150 plants on our farm to get started and a couple different varieties. And then we, from there, we've just started harvesting and getting to use all of the benefits of lavender and turning them into products. We have two daughters, a 10-year-old and a 13-year-old. And we were also looking for something to do with our land that could get the kids out of the house and off their electronics, right? And so we happened to do it, as Jessica said, in the middle of a global pandemic where everyone's stress and anxiety level is high. And we thought it would be the perfect time to start our own lavender farm. So where did the idea for lavender 
come from? Obviously, you had the property and you could do whatever you wanted with it. But where did the specific idea for this as a commodity come about? So I've used lavender for several years. In fact, you know, when we look at flowers, it's one of the flowers that I really liked because it's not only beautiful, but then it lasts beyond and has much more use after the beautiful bloom is done. We were actually vacationing and went to Wisconsin and went to a lavender farm there. And we thought if they can do it in Wisconsin, surely we can try and start a lavender farm in Iowa. So other than the fact that it has a nice flower, obviously it looks good in fields, what do you do with it? Where is the market for this once you have a successful harvest? So we found that lavender can grow and go in a lot of different products. As we've looked at it, our most popular product has been a lavender salve. It's a lotion that you can put on your hands and feet, specifically at bedtime. So we know getting enough sleep is a huge issue for a lot of Americans. Lavender has been proven to help with sleep. And so being able to put this nice lotion on your hands and feet at bedtime, that's been one of our key products. We also put the lavender buds in an eye pillow. And so if you're taking a nap, you can put that on. Uh, Many people have said it's helped if they have headaches. You can also heat them up and use them as heating pads. So that's something we've been able to put the buds directly into. We've also done lip balms. Lavender mint lip balm is very popular. Uh, Nice refreshing scent um, as you put that on your lips and feels great and looks great. We've also done lotion bars, which is a solid product that you actually apply directly into your skin and it melts. And so that's been great for massages as well. I keep one on my desk during the day and anytime my hands look dry, I just put that on my hand, looks great, feels great and stays as a solid on your desk. Not forget our pillow spray. So that's another bedtime thing where you can spray a little bit of the lavender spray on your pillow at night. And it's just very calming and relaxing. And our kids love it as well. Gets them ready for bed. We grow the lavender plants out at the farm. And then Jessica actually handcrafts all of these products on our farm as well. So it's, it's kind of cool to be able to use something that we're growing out there and making a product that helps people with relaxation. The lotions and the, the salves that she mentioned there really does help with reducing inflammation and soothing your skin. So, you know, stuff like eczema, acne, sunburns, cuts, bug bites. I mean, lavender is really, really helpful and useful for all sorts of different issues. And Jessica's done a great job of doing the, the research, putting in the hard work of to develop these products. And we both have day jobs as well in marketing. And so things like creating websites and brand strategies and product labeling and stuff like that, we can do that part pretty easy. But it's been fun developing these products and learning about growing lavender as part of this business. With our kids, they've been able to develop their own product lines. So our 13-year-old has aromatherapy keychains where you can add a little bit of any essential oil onto the keychain and carry that scent around with you. And then our 10-year-old has an aromatherapy necklace where you can do the same and you can put a little bit of oil on the necklace and be relaxed all day long. So that's been fun that the the kids have also been able to find product lines and, and learn what sells and what doesn't sell so we can do this together and they can earn some of their own money as well. Biggest challenges right now as a new business, and then second, 
Where do you think this might be in five years? I think uh, one of the challenges we have right now is, uh, like Jason mentioned, a lot of people do want to come and visit and, and experience the lavender experience. But as farmers, you you learn it takes a while to establish the crop and get it to the point where it is viewable to the public and uh, create many experiences for them, as well as just learning how to grow and harvest a crop in Iowa when there's there's really only three or four growers in the whole state that we're aware of growing lavender. And so we're really relying on our own research and our experience as part of that research as well. It's a unique thing that we're doing here. And so there is a lot of interest. And we started out with 150 lavender plants, and then we basically doubled that here this spring. Lavender plants, it's perennial that takes about three years to be full size and, and just full blooms at that point. It's exciting. I mean, it's been really fun. It'll be interesting to see where this goes. You mentioned in in five years, where do we see this? I think, you know, right now we're primarily selling online on our website, iowalavender.com and at farmer's markets. So we've done the Ames Farmer's Market. We've done the Geneva Market. We've started doing a few of these markets and, and have really seen some success. So we've already had different businesses reach out to us wanting to carry our products in their stores. And Ryman Gardens, for example, they're, they're going to be carrying some Iowa lavender products there. So it's, it's neat to see a small business like this grow and take off. Jessica and Jason Mortweed of Iowa Lavender, online at iowalavender.com. We spoke via Zoom in mid-June of last year. And that brings us to the close of this week's program. We're back again next week at this same time. In the meantime, you can listen to all or part of today's program by going to totallyiowa.com and clicking on the radio programs link. We're also found on all the major podcast distributors, 19 now in all. The Iowa Business Report is presented by Advance Iowa, leading successful business, innovation, growth, and transitions. Search for Advance Iowa on LinkedIn and Facebook and get more at AdvanceIowa.com. We welcome your comments. Send them by email to radio at totallyiowa.com. I'm Jeff Stein. Thank you for joining us and we hope you have a prosperous week. The Iowa Business Report is a copyrighted production of Totally Iowa Media, which is solely responsible for its content. For more, click on the radio programs button at totallyiowa.com.